0: Well, wow. this is a day I will remember already. Uh, yeah, it's already been good, hasn't it? <laughs> Amen. Yeah. You know, when a wave of emotion comes over you at times, um, you just have to get through it. And that's how God is. But have you ever thought about this? Why am I here? Why am I living at this time in history? Have you ever thought about that? Why did I, why was I born where I was born? Why did I get, have the parents that I have, live where I live, why? Have you ever thought about things like that? Well, if you have, then there's good news. You're gonna be able to identify with today's story as we continue the story of Esther. So I encourage you to take your Bibles and uh, turn with me. We're we're wrapping up the end of chapter 2, and we're going to cover two chapters here today. And it's going to fly by because it is an amazing story, what God has done through Esther. Remember last week, I shared these truths, and that is this. God is sovereign even when life doesn't make sense did you get that remember we said it together God is sovereign even when life doesn't make sense and there's and that's, that's reality God is still in control and we saw through the the way Esther came into her role and she became queen second I mean she's the mo- most powerful woman in the world and we're going to now look at the rest of the story of what is taking place in the kingdom now here's the thing that has happened Uh, Mordecai is sitting at the gate and that was one of his customs that he did he went to the king's gate so he had some familiarity with what was going on around the place and he'd also instructed Esther to not reveal that she uh, where she came from in other words keep it secret don't tell anyone that you are a Jew and so Mordecai instructed her Mordecai was really her cousin but because Esther had been an orphan and her mom and dad had died when she was young Mordecai raised her and so Mordecai was like a dad to her even though he biologically was a cousin so whatever he said to her she listened and she obeyed him and so we're going to get into some dialogue today because he's going to ask her to do some things that don't make sense Okay, but she listened, but what where we pick up in the story uh, is here in verse twenty one in those days while Mordecai was sitting in the king's gate, Big Than and teresh Now I'm going to name these two dudes. these were the uh, gatekeepers, the doorkeepers, right there for King A Xerxes. I call them uh, the one guy's named Big Than because he was bigger than anyone else, I guess. And the other one I'm gonna call Tresh. I'm gonna call him Mr. T. So they, you got these two guys bigger than anybody else, and Mr. T, they're they're watching the gate. All right. Some of y'all know who Mr. T is. You know who Mr. T is? Do I need to explain Mr. T to you? I pity the fool. All right. <laughs> that was his phrase. He was in one of the Rocky movies, wasn't he? I believe so. But anyway, these two guys. He was on 18 but he also fought Rocky. Amen, didn't he? He did. Y'all know he did fight Rocky. I believe in Rocky number 2 or 3. Rocky 3. Don't shake your head. This is truth. I'm speaking the truth. <laughs> Tell him who bears witness. Mr. T was in Rocky 3. All right. He was. Now, honey, you just forgot. I better correct this before I leave here y'all know what I mean all right okay but anyway they were watching the gate, and apparently these guys were mad at the king because it said that they uh, they became angry really the word in the King James is furious they were furious at the king and they were ready to assassinate him Wow now those are not the county bodyguards you want at your door you know they're ready to take your life well uh, the word the plot became known to Mordecai verse 22 and he told Queen Esther and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name so Mordecai heard about it he goes to Esther and says listen these guys are planning to kill the king and so The king they checked into it to see if this was true they didn't want to deal with any fake news they wanted to make sure this was a fact and they investigated and found it to be so and they were both hanged on the gallows they were hanged on the gallows or hanged in a tree and it was written in the book of the chronicles in the king's presence now the Persians recorded everything that's why we know a lot about what took place in that time remember we had the Babylonian Empire the Persian Empire the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire And this story of Esther is set during the Persian Empire one of the most vast empires in the world's ever known 127 provinces were out there so the king without knowing it had just gotten rid of a problem in Mordecai his name was written down. And this is important to remember because later on in the story, what Mordecai did is going to come back up. Okay? So let's pick up in verse 1 of chapter 3. After these events, King A, uh, this is Xerxes, he promoted Haman, the son of, oh boy, this is a great name, Ham- Hamadatha, the Agagite. And advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. So now we get introduced to another character in this story. His name is Haman. And if you know anything about the Book of Esther, Haman is not good. Haman is evil. Haman is someone, and and I want to give a little bit of history here before we move on. Who is Haman? what's his background if I went to his family tree what would I find And if you go back and you understand this Mordecai was a descendant from the tribe of Benjamin and he was the least of Jacob's the last of Jacob's son but out of Mordecai's descendants I mean out of um, Benjamin's descendants there was King Saul And so Mordecai, actually King Saul was one of his grandparents. And so that's important to know. Why? Because the day came when an issue was given to King Saul to destroy a king by the name of Agag. Now, Agag, Agagite, were the descendants of the Amicalites. And why is this important? Because... Back in the day, King Saul was given the command to destroy him, and he didn't do it. In fact, he let that king live, and he let the animals live, and God came down and said through Samuel, What's that eye here, right I hear out there? Didn't I tell you to destroy them all? Didn't destroy them. And as a result of that, here is Haman, a descendant of him, of the Agagites, the, the Ammon. Amalekites is the name and he's a descendant of them and so this is history this is taking place so in other words whom God said to destroy a long time ago they didn't do it and now here's old Haman a descendant of the one that God had said to destroy and what is he about to do in this story we're gonna find out I've already said he's not good but you're gonna find out just how bad he is in this story pick up with me it says in verse 2 and the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman for so the king had commanded concerning him but Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him so the king obviously put Haman as second in command in the kingdom and so a part of that command was whenever you see him you bow down to him you give him respect and honor. Mordecai being a Jew and and being understanding the laws, there was only one to bow down to, isn't it? There? There's only one to bow down to, and that is to God Almighty. So Mordecai is not about to be bowing down to any man. He's only going to bow down to the God of and the king of all kings. And that's that's something to remember, because doesn't this sound very familiar to some guys in the book of Daniel who said that they would not bow down to that stature that King Nebuchadnezzar had established? Bowing down to something means you're elevating that object as God and an and important part of things. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. And then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, "Why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was when they had spoken daily to him and he would not listen to them that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand. for he had told them that he was a Jew. And so that's significant in this story because Mordecai, based upon his religious beliefs, you're, not, you're only to have one God and serve Him only. Thou shalt not have no other gods before Me. It's what uh, Mordecai was holding to, and so because he was a Jew, he told him, "That's the reason I'm not bowing down to the guy." Well, Haman finds out about it. So, pick up verse five. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, guess what? Haman was filled with rage. Man, this old Mordecai can't stand him. I wonder why he can't stand him. Well, I think it goes way back. It goes way, way back. Any of y'all ever been in a family feud with anybody else? Any Hatfield and McCoys in the room? Well, this story went way back. It's a lot of anger, a lot of hatred. And boy, old Haman is like, don't you realize who I am? man I am second in charge in the kingdom everybody bows down to me everybody acknowledges who I am but old Mordecai's not doing it and boy it just got to Haman he was filled with rage he couldn't stand it so this is what happens verse 6 he wanted to lay hands on Mordecai but he didn't want to do it alone for They had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So here's the deal. Haman hated the fact that Mordecai would not bow down to him, and he wanted to destroy him. But when he found out he was a Jew, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to destroy him. I'm going to destroy all of them. I'm gonna take them out. Boy, they think back to when King Saul was told to take them out. And he didn't do it. And here we have the enemy of the Jews about to make a plot to kill all the Jews and all of the kingdoms, all the Providence. And so what happens next is something that's very historic and is still celebrated by the Jews today and uh, we're going to see about it more but in verse seven in the first month which is the month uh, Nisan in the in the twelfth year of King Xerxes per that is the lot was cast before Haman from day to day and from month to month until the twelfth month that is the month Adar and so what's significant here look in the timeline of things y'all remember when uh, when Esther became queen it was uh, Xerxes' seventh year of his reign. Now we're in the twelfth year. Five years have gone by and taken place in the timeline. And so when this happens, Haman is so filled with rage, he's going to destroy the Jews, that he does something called per, which per simply means cast a lot. The Bible in Proverbs actually says that you can cast a lot, but every decision is before the Lord. But what he did was he cast lots every day until it was going to be de- to be determined which month are we going to do this which month will be set aside to the day so he kept they kept rolling and casting the lot to see so they kept casting it day by day and then it finally ended up in the timeline it's going to be almost a year later it was the first month and it said 12, 11 12 months later <laughs> it takes place so the Feast of Purim is still done today in the Jewish community and you know what you know what that feast uh, represents every time it's a reminder of what Esther did but every time they read the whole book of Esther during the Feast of Purim and every time Haman's name is mentioned they make noises to drown out his name because they don't even want it recorded in history. So this this feast took place because of this simple act that Haman did to destroy the Jewish people. So they cast the lots per. Now pick up with me to see what Haman's plot's going to be. Notice what he does, man. He's a plot and schemer. Verse eight. It said, Then Haman said to King Xerxes. King A, there is a certain people. Notice how he said that. There is a certain people. He didn't come out and say, hey, there's the Jews. He approached him and said, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom, where their laws are different from those of all of other people, and they do not observe the king's laws. So it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. Wow, he's using his influence here, isn't he? And then he goes on to say, If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who will carry on the king's business to put into the king's treasures. In other words, king, give me the permission. I'm going to destroy them. And not only that, we're going to take all their plunder. We're going to take everything and we're going to put it into your kingdom. Whoa, this was old Haman's plot. Isn't he sneaky? He didn't even call out the Jews. He's sneaky. He's, he, he's plotting with the king to do this. And then the ten, let's let's look at what happened. Verse 10, the king took his signet, signet ring, which is a sign of authority from his hand, and he gave it to Haman, And then, who was the enemy of the Jews. And then the king said to Haman, the silver is yours, yours, and the people also to do with them as you please. So Haman is sitting there going, <laughs> Oh Mordecai, he ain't gonna bow down before me. I'll tell you what, I just got him. I just got him. I got to the king. And my plot, the king has agreed to it. And he put the seal of authority on it, which by the way. When that seal was done, it could not be broken. It had to be carried out. You could say, oh, oh, by the way, we, we made a bad decision. We're going to tear the papers up. <laughs> when it was signed, sealed, it was stamped. It's going to be done. So they pulled all the people together to write it up. And in the, in the next few verses, they write up all the documents, they put it out. That all of the Jews are to be destroyed. Women, children, everything among the Jews is to be destroyed. And they gave them the date, and they told them, and they they wrote it. They wrote it in all the languages. Why? Because listen, there's 127 provinces that are all, all across this Persian Empire. So they wrote it and they put it in written form, and they they sent it out, and they started sending couriers. Uh, The Pony Express, by the way, throughout the whole kingdom of Persia to deliver the death sentence of the Jewish people. Man, how would you like to have been a Jew living in that time? Well, we pick up in the story, verse 15. The couriers went out impaled by the king's command while the decree was issued at the citadel in Susa, that's the Persian capital, And while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in confusion. So Haman has gotten his heart's desire, and he's sitting down having him one with the king. Boy, he's feeling good. This is good. And he's he's drinking. He's about to... Everything's good for Haman right now. But the city was in confusion. Wow. So the story continues. and Let's get to this final chapter here. Well Mordecai learned in verse 1 of chapter 4 all that had been done and his response was he tore his clothes. He just that was a sign of intense grief and pain was they would just rip their clothes. He put on sackcloth and ashes And he went out in the street and began to cry in anguish and pain over the decision and the decree that Haman had plotted through the king. Man, he was tore up about it. And he was out there in the street and then the word got out to all the places and then all over the land of all the provinces, the Jewish people all went out and began to cry and began to weep. Over their, what was going to happen to them. They were to be destroyed. And so Mordecai's out in the street, and this is taking place, and then the we pick up there, and, and you see a few verses down that Esther hears about it. And she's like, What is going on? Why is Mordecai out here weeping in anguish and pain out in the streets? What is going on? And so what she does was. He's out here in sackcloth and ashes. So as Queen, she sent him out a wardrobe. She sent him out some clothes to put on to make him feel better. I know several of y'all have complimented my new white shirt. My Angie goes and she shops for me. I'm thankful she does. She tries to make me look good. You know, look better. But Esther was saying, Mordecai, get up. You're out there. And dust and ashes and cycle. And so she loves, she loves him so much. He's like a daddy to her. She sends him fine clothes to put on. He refuses it. He refuses it. See, he Esther doesn't know what's going on at this point. Have you picked up on that? She doesn't know. And so we pick up right here. It says, verse 5 Then Esther summoned Hathawk. From the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Two things, what and why. What is going on and why is this happening? Have you ever said that before? (laughs) When life doesn't make sense to you. What is going on and why is this happening to me right now? I've been there, I've done that. Well, Esther truly did not know what was going on. And she did not know why this was happening. And so she inquired into it. And then she sent her uh, servant over to Mordecai into the city square in front of the King's Gate. In verse 7, this is what Mordecai told him that it happened. He told him the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay in the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict, which had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her, and notice this, to order her to go in to the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for their people so that's what Mordecai told this servant to go back and tell Esther so can you only imagine can you only imagine her hearing that report she's asked what is going on why is it happening and now she's heard my people are about to be destroyed and not only that she's heard this person she loves and respects more than anyone is ordering her ordering her to go to the king and ask for a favor well you would be thinking hey you have the king's heart who's any closer to him than the queen but he's asking for a favor and he comes back and he relates Mordecai's words to Esther. Verse 9. Then Esther spoke to him and ordered him to go back to Mordecai and say this. Verse 11. Don't you know that all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court, who is not summoned, he has but one law that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And notice she says this, and I have not been summoned to come to the king for 30 days. In other words, do you not realize Mordecai what you're asking me to do? It's my it's my death warrant. You're asking me to die. Don't you know the law's written you can't go before the king if not summoned, because the law says you die. The only hope you got is if the king extends the golden scepter, so that you might live. Ooh, the boy! This has got a lot of symbolism to it, doesn't it? It really does, y'all. And there's a lot of truth that could be learned from this, because listen unless jesus the king of all kings extends his love and grace and forgiveness to each and every one of us we're dead we're dead we're gonna see how this relates a few verses on down but she knew you're asking me to die you're asking me to go in and basically put put it all on the line and they related esther's words to Mordecai in verse 13 it says this then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews in other words sooner or later Esther they're gonna find out you're one you're one of them you're one of us and you too don't imagine you're gonna get by with this and then he goes on to say these famous words in verse 14 For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Wow. For such a time as this. Mordecai's words probably stung, but Mordecai's words were wise. And he told Esther the truth. And he told her, Listen, don't think you're gonna escape. And and even though you're you're in this position, if you don't do it, then God will raise up someone else. Have you ever thought about that before in your own life? If God asked you to do something and you didn't do it, that He might get somebody else to do what He asked you to do. You ever thought about that? I have. I've looked at opportunities before, and when God asked me to do something, and I didn't want to do it. And and I've often wondered if I had done that, what would have been the results of that. But listen, God's plan will not be thwarted. God's sovereignty is real. And God will protect His people, regardless. And if Esther, it's interesting, he said that if you don't do it, I he was going to raise somebody else up to do it. He he laid it flat out. God will protect His people. But then he encouraged her by saying, "Who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, Esther?" You're in a place. You're you're living right now. God has given you favor. He's given you this moment to step in to make a difference for such a time as this. Do you know you're living for such a time as this for that person in your home? You're living at such a time for this at your workplace. You're living for such a time as this. In your neighborhood, you have neighbors, you have work friends, you have other people that you're living in for such a time as this. Because there's been a death sentence given to all mankind, y'all. And we're we're living in such a time as to be the messengers to go to these people and tell them of the love and grace of God. And Esther, she was given an order, she was given a command. The question is, is she going to do it for such a time as this? Wow. Well, the story for today, we're going to stop at this. Then Esther told them to, tell, to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And, and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus, I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. So Esther makes the decision. Here's what I'm going to do. Go assemble all the Jews that are in the town, in the city of Susa, and fast. Don't eat a thing for three days and three nights. I need you. I need you to do that for me. And we're going to do the same thing. And everybody, all my maidens, we're going to do it all. We're going to fast with you. This is the most important decision that Esther's ever done in her life. And she needed that time of fasting. Now, it doesn't say to pray, but can you imagine them not praying? Praying is almost uh, assumed or inferred into this situation because every time I hear fast, I think of pray, fast and pray. But for three days, she said, Let's do it. And then I'm going to go in, and if I perish, I perish. Have you ever heard that s- statement, It's do or die time? Have you ever heard that phrase before? It's do or die? It's time and that moment was going to come three days later three days later you know why that little phrase three days is important Because there was a guy by the name of abraham who took his son isaac one day and he was told to go to the land of moriah up to a mountain which is modern day jerusalem and he took isaac and he went in genesis twenty two and it says and after three days they looked up and they saw it was the place to where God provided a sacrifice for Isaac also we were given a sign Jonah was told to go to a land of Nineveh and to preach the gospel and repeat preach repentance to him and what happened when he disobeyed he ended up three days in a great fish notice I didn't say whale but three days in a great fish and he got vomited out, and then after that three days on a flown blubber mattress, he decided the best thing to do was to obey God. And he went in and preached to the people of Nineveh, and they repented, and great revival broke out, but it was three days. And I think you all might know this, that Jesus has something really important that happened three days later. In his life. So this three days. Is some, has a lot of symbolism in it. Because. In essence. Esther was saying. I'm dead. I'm dead. In three days from now. We're going to see. If I've been made alive. 3 days from now she's going to see if the golden scepter will be presented to her wow if i perish i perish she was willing and obedient to give it all she was and it isn't this fitting that this message is given to us on memorial day Weekend, because how many of the men and women that have gone to fight for our country have gone in knowing if I perish, I perish, but I'm going in knowing that I'm fighting for something worth fighting for the freedom of my country, the freedom for my loved ones the freedom to enjoy everything as God has intended it to be. What a, what an appropriate and timely for such a time as this that God reminds us on this weekend. And so we're going to pick up with the rest of the story next week. Now you might be thinking, well, I don't have to wait until next week. I can go ahead and read it. Please do. Please do. <laughs> Please keep on reading the story because you want to know what's going to happen next. But Esther knew she was a dead woman. She knew. But she was willing to give it all for her people. Let's pray.